0: by alert. Death Star, Death Star approaching. approaching. Estimated,
1: Estimated time,
2: time to firing range, 15 minutes. Anian. are you the customer, are you the vehicle owner, fully capable of dealing with repairing the vehicle?
1: Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The car doctor.
2: If the vehicle is maintained, it's not going to have a problem because maintenance is the best defense against problems. But when you do have a problem and the manufacturer extends their hand and says, hey, we're going to take care of it. You got to be open to that.
3: I got a bad feeling about this.
2: Welcome to the radio home of Ron and the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855 560 9900. And now.
1: Are you stuck-up, half-witted,
0: scruffy-looking nerf-herder?
2: Here's Here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ron and Amy and The Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900 is the phone number to get in and talk to The Car Doctor, cardoctorshow.com is the website, tunein.com, iheart.com, itunes.com. If it's got a dot .com and it's somehow attached to media, The Car Doctor's using it because we want to be able to get you podcasts and an affiliate list of this radio show to tell you where we're at and how you can find us and how we can talk to you and solve your car problem because that's what this Car Doctor radio show is all about let's talk a little bit about repairing cars this hour as we kick off this hour of the car doctor and talk a little bit about the wrong way to go you know I think about life lessons in auto repair and I said to one of my kids the other day we were talking about something uh, a friend of theirs was going through and I said, "Where can't you go where can't you make a wrong turn and they said down right street because I said that to my kids for years you can't you can't make a wrong turn down right street and sometimes repair shops make wrong turns because they miss Wright Street. A new soon-to-be customer came into the shop at Ari Automotive this week with an 04 Toyota, and the concern was that the check engine light was on. She was setting an evaporative emissions fault code, a P0442. And not that that is a tough code to fix. It takes some diagnosis. It takes some repair, and the dealership that was working on it Attempted to do the right thing. They they did the diagnosis. Came up with that it, it could be a gas cap. Put a gas cap on the car. And then proceeded to sell her everything else she needed. Brakes, tires, valve cover gasket. I think some suspension work was on the ticket. All told, she was into the vehicle, this 140,000-mile, 10-year-old vehicle, for about $4,200. Now, car needs it and i'm not disputing that it did or didn't i'm going on the assumption that it did and that wasn't her dispute her dispute was after spending close to four grand and the vehicle's fixed two days later the check engine light pops on again so she goes back again and goes through the rigmarole and pays for an additional diagnosis and they try another gas cap and i'm just thinking about this and i'm listening to the story and i'm thinking not only not only have we lost Wright Street, we're going down the one-way street the wrong way. We're just totally in the dark. She ended up on my doorstep, and we had a candid conversation. Nice lady, Ann. And I explained to her, I said, listen, I know this dealership. They're a good bunch of guys. I think somebody's in the wrong loop here, and they're just missing some of the basics because... They went down the path of no return. They went down the path of let's sell everything on the car that it needs before we make sure the car is fixed. Because the rule is, if a car legitimately needs it, sell it, fix it, keep the car safe. But until you address the customer concern, don't sell anything extra. Because if that check engine light turns into something that's very cost prohibitive and it ends up having to be where the vehicle's replaced, they've now spent 3000 extra dollars for conversation's sake, on something that could have been used, the money could have been used towards the purchase and the replacement of the second car, the next car. In the end, the dealership stepped up. I contacted the parts and service manager that I know on a personal basis. As you can imagine, I've got more than a few relationships out there. And relationships being the name of the game in business, Mike had his counterpart at Toyota. Mike's in charge of Lexus. He had his counterpart at Toyota email talk to the customer, the car's going back in, they're going to diagnose it and take a look at it and and see where, what, if any mistakes were made in the procedure, deal with it, correct it, and that's all you can ask a repair shop to do. But the point of this opening conversation is just something to think about. Just look at your thought process and maybe consider changing it because if you're the repair shop and you're selling additional work and you're not convinced that the first repair is fixed or the main concern is fixed, don't sell that additional work unless it's life and death. Hey, if the brakes are metal on metal, I get it. But if the brakes are, you've got three millimeter brake pad and it'll go another 3,000 miles, wait, trust your customer. And I think that's part of it too. We live in an environment where everybody's so afraid that somebody's going to wander off to the next one. You know what? You want to make sure you keep your customers? Wow them with doing the job properly. People will beat a path to your door if you build a better mousetrap. That's one of the things I've I've learned to live by in order repair. It's one of the things I've learned to live by in life because where this conversation started, you can't make a wrong turn down Wright Street. And if you're a repair shop, that's something you really have to live by because that's the proper path to repair. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. We have an interview-free hour this hour. Let's I see uh, Fast Harry's warming up in the... Uh, vocal box over there uh harry is your microphone on uh is it uh yeah there it is you're now on the air talking to millions of people nationwide across this great country of ours
4: why hello everyone yeah how's the goiter today Uh goiter is 18 pounds down four yeah. weeks yeah
2: how come you're getting fan mail can you explain that to me
4: uh i don't know i mean did, did, well, they want to know about my romance
2: i know but did you like write out to the three people that you know and uh you know, you've got them. You know, pretending to be friends, and, and it was only two people. The whole world's two gonna know. The whole world's gonna know. Yep. There's, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, ba- yeah, yeah.
4: there's bad news on the horizon. Yeah, there's bad Fast news. Fast on- Harry's in love. Yeah, I know. Never that, a good sign. I know.
2: So it could be. It, help us. It, it could. It could even be bad news if if you don't get schwelt enough by the time bathing suit season rolls around.
4: Well, let me tell you something. Uh, yeah, I I'll know.
2: be. I'll be uh, schwelt. Schwelt. I mean. There you go. Yeah. So listen, who do you got for me to kick off this hour? Or the car doctor.
4: Hey, Ron, on line one, uh, Richard is calling from Wheeling, Virginia. He's got a 2013 Civic with 31,000 miles. Uh, he sort of blew up the engine. Uh, he'll tell you about that. But he wants advice on what kind of replacement engine to put in it and why not a Honda engine. He's getting conflicting
2: opinions. Okay, let's go talk to him. Let's go kick open the car doctor garage doors and talk to Richard, Wheeling, West Virginia. You're up next. How can I help you, sir? Oh, there you go,
5: West Virginia. Yes, sir. I don't know that made that much difference, but. Uh... He was staying in Virginia.
2: Yes, sir. Oh, well, okay, it's, uh, yes, sir. What's going on?
5: Don't make a difference. I want to get to what I called about, but because I heard you talking about the uh, engine light and they're going with your dealer, what I have with this 2013 Honda Civic, it just seems like it happens, but once a week where you get check higher pressure, light comes on. Right. Comes on all the time. I've been up there. Don't take it in the back and do something I just said, why do I have to keep coming up here, like once a week, with this check tire pressure? Why does the check tire pressure light like keep coming on? They don't give me any answers.
2: Find do you a, have one. Yeah, find another dealer. Listen, I don't care. I don't care what you're driving. All right, you come in. You yeah. come. Let me tell you how it works. You come into my shop. You're my customer. Ron, explain this to me. I'll talk to you for five minutes. I'll talk to you for five, uh, five hours. Whatever you want, I'll explain to you why we're doing what we're doing because that's part of the process. Chances are, in this case, well, then, you know what? They're doing it wrong. Their customer service is wrong. Chances are, in this case, the reason you're getting the light is because we're into that time of year where temperatures vary and tire pressure may be set incorrectly or you've got a tire with a slow leak. So, my first comment would be when we get a car with a check with a tire pressure monitoring light, I'm sorry, with a TPMS light, where are the tire pressures? If the door placard says 30 and it's 60 degrees out, because that's the standard, 30 pounds at 60 degrees is what they're referencing when they say cold tire pressure. If that's the case and all the tires have 30 pounds in them, then we've got an electrical defect. If one tire's got 24 pounds in it, which is 15% below the minimum, That's why it triggers the light by the way the statute and the spec is written. Then I'm going to say, okay, fill it up with air, look for leaks. If it comes back again in another week, it's losing air. It's that simple. This isn't rocket science. You know, there's two halves to TPMS. Is it an electrical problem? Is it the warning system itself? Or is there a tire that's physically losing air? And it behooves me and kind of mystifies me why a repair shop, dealership, independent, otherwise – would want to continually add air to tires instead of trying to diagnose it or explain to somebody. Here are the steps, so we don't have to see you every week. And I, you know, best answer I've got. Does that make Does that make sense to you, Richard?
5: Oh, absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. Because the last time I went in there, one of the people in the service service area just told me, "Just ignore it. They keep coming on. Just ignore it." I'm saying, "Just ignore it." There's a reason why that is that's coming on.
2: No, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's. and just think, this is the face of the dealership. This is the guy that somebody's seeing in the service department, and if I was the owner of the dealership, I would probably be choking on my own bile because this is the guy who's helping me sell cars and run my business. Let's go on to the engine question. What's the engine issue?
5: The engine issue is I was going along the road, and I hit a log. I didn't pay any attention, so I just ran over a log. And the next thing I know, well, the bottom line is, we're going to go through the whole details of it, but the bottom line is I'm just going up a, a hill because uh, I was actually going to a restaurant. The next thing I know, I'm going up this hill, and I see TP, what is that, TPMF, and it looked like a video game. All these lights came on, and I could smell, it almost smelled like the engine was going to blow. And when I got up to the, uh, the dealership, uh, they took it in there. They found out it was a blown
2: engine. Okay. Right. Sounds so it. It sounds like you ran over something, and you put a you you put something through the engine oil pan and lost oil pressure.
5: Well, they said it went through the radiator.
2: Okay, so it overheated, but you damaged you physically damaged something. So bottom line, you need an engine. What's the question?
5: Okay, the question would be the insurance company was. I said, why can't you buy the engine from Honda? They said they charge too much. They asked me whether, wa- whether I wanted to
2: rebuilt or remanufactured. I didn't know the difference. Now, here's what and you he want. That- well, here's, here's what you want, Richard. All right, first of all, the first question is, I'll tell you what, let me pull over and take a pause. I don't want to rush this. Stay where you are. I'm Ron and The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this.
0: daddy kissing Santa Claus.
2: Welcome back. Ron and Andy the car, Dr. Harry, 555 9900 Let's get back to Richard in Wheeling. Richard, you're there, sir. Richard? I'm still here. Yes, sir. Okay. With regard, with, with regard to the engine replacement, the yeah. difference between rebuilt and remanufactured, the general understanding in the industry is a rebuilt engine is repaired for the things that are bad with it. So it may not necessarily have all the components uh, being replaced or machined. If something is good, it's left alone, and it's just repaired as needed. Whereas a remanufactured engine, the entire thing is disassembled, refreshed, all moving parts are replaced, everything is checked for spec. It is a better grade or a better upbuild. The question I've got is, what is your insurance company obligated to do? I can't speak for West Virginia insurance or Virginia insurance or anything outside of New Jersey, but I can tell you in New Jersey, an insurance policy is a contract between the holder and the company, and they're obligated to restore that vehicle to back to pre-accident condition status. So the nonsense about we don't want to pay for this and we don't want to pay for that on a 2013 car wouldn't fly here. So if the option becomes, do I want to buy a rebuilt engine or a junkyard engine versus an engine from the manufacturer, I would go right to Honda. But, and there's a but here, my concern is, are the guys that we're thinking of letting do the engine the same guys with the tire pressure issue that can't explain why they're putting air in the tires? Uh
5: Uh-oh. Right. Yeah, it's the same
2: people. Same people. Guess what? You're letting somebody that can't do brain surgery or you can't let you can't you can't let somebody that can tie their shoes do brain surgery. And, uh, y- you know, if if they're that inadequate that they can't explain the simple process. Can you imagine if you let them do the engine and it needed oil every week? Well, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. life. Just just keep adding oil to it. Can you hear the explanations you're going to get?
5: I didn't like that explanation at all. Uh, Like I said, you said you would at least explain it. Right. Still, right now, that tire pressure gauge still keeps coming on. They still don't do anything. Right. Taking it back, and I don't know what they're doing about it.
2: If you can't fix, if you can't fix simple, you can't fix complicated. And in this case, you can't fix stupid. So I would just run screaming. I would run screaming from that dealership. And I would find somebody else to do it, another dealer, another source, or I would go to that dealership and tell them why you're not doing business with them because they don't instill confidence. A mechanic, independent repair shop, dealer, whatever, has to instill confidence because your life is in my hands. There's no screwing around when it comes to cars. We do something wrong, people die, and that's the bottom line. It's it's that serious of a business. In this case, they put an engine in, yeah, we got almost all the parts on it. Yeah, we got a few left over. We're trying to build another car for next week. Um, you know, that doesn't fly. Richard, I'd, uh, I'd take a real hard look at that, but I would talk to the insurance company. What's their obligation? And I would read the details of your policy. Tom, Maryville, Missouri, how can I help you, sir? What's going on?
3: Well, I been having a little bit of trouble with my overdrive on my F350 being intermittent. Okay. Every now and then uh, I will catch it actually in overdrive because I look down at the RPMs and I uh, when I touch the button on the shifter of course it goes out of overdrive and then when I hit it again it won't go back in and most of the time it's out of overdrive. And I just wondered if you had
2: any ideas. Yeah, there's a bunch of things I would look at here. First thing I'd want to I do is. Had it
3: anywhere
2: to yeah, first thing I'd want to.
3: to look at
2: it. First thing I'd want to do is scan it for fault codes. Well, I, you know, like any diagnosis, I always start at the battery and, you know, battery clean and tight and good connections and a good battery. That being said, if we're into this a little deeper, next step is do we have any fault codes? There's a couple of common things that'll keep this out of overdrive a P0720, a P0722. They've got issues. Does the truck feel like it's misfiring at any time?
3: Uh, no, it does not. I, I had originally another problem with it, but I've cured that. I had hay in the fuel tank, believe it or not. right? It's,
2: yep. a,
3: it's a mail truck, and somebody ran it with it, and it would
2: die. Okay. They do, they do have issues where if, if, if the engine is picking up any sort of misfire fault, it will limit overdrive operation. That being said, probably the most common fault for no overdrive in these vehicles is problems with the overdrive wiring harness that there is actually a replacement harness available for these to, to be replaced. And, uh, you know, that'll do it too. That usually though is tied to, do you have any issues where fuse number 45 fails? Uh,
3: well, I didn't get a schematic with this truck. So I, I, uh... I've had a fuse blow or two, but they were on the
2: brake light for the trailer. Okay. Check to see if, if you can identify it. See if fuse number 45 in the, in the central junction box under the dash is the one that's failing. If it is, take a look at the overdrive wiring harness under the steering column covers, because that's also common to short against the column and creates all sorts of issues with the overdrive. But like I said, first place I'd stop is the scan tool, or to scan it, see if there's any fault codes, a bunch of things can come up and cause this particular problem. Good luck to you and give me a call back if you need more information. Run in the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy the car doctor in the driver's seat here talking to you about your car problems at 855-560-9900. I should point out that is the car doctor's 24-7 phone number if you are so inclined to call 855-560-9900. And we're not on the air. This radio show is live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and put you in queue. We can talk to you the next live show the following week because... What we really want to do is fix cars. We want to talk to you, the listeners. We appreciate you taking the time to be there. We know you have a bunch of choices on what you can do with your spare time or your listening time. And uh, we want to be there for you because that's what this radio show is all about. Let's get over to Marty in New Orleans. Am I saying that right, Marty? New Orleans? Is that, yes, sir. Is that oh. you? Yeah, there you go. Hi. Um, how are you doing, Ron? Right, no, sir. Nice to be talking to you. Yes, sir. You too. O1 Kia Sportage. I understand you got some AC problems.
6: Yeah, the um, uh, recirculation circuit and the a- AC circuit seem to ha- have gone out. You know, the two buttons are right next to each other and um, um, I guess they are in common something might be a ground or something what do you uh, Well, let me ask you, you
2: know? this, when you when you push the button on, like you know if you want to turn the AC on, does the AC actually work? No. Okay. So so the,
6: the AC works on the car but not uh, on not right now. Everything went out.
2: Right. So the question right, so the question becomes does the air conditioning work in the car? Forget what the you know the LEDs, whether the LEDs are lit or not. If you turn the AC and set it to the on position, does the AC compressor actually work? Yes oh, or no? Oh yeah,
6: yeah, the air conditioner works fine.
2: Okay, so your problem is that the control knob LED doesn't light up.
6: Yeah, that's um, the AC is right next uh, controls right next to the air cabin they have a circulation button,
2: two right. of them. There's two buttons together. And they
6: both went out. They are both LED indicated and um they both just went out, so, you know.
2: But they but so the LEDs are out, but the buttons physically work. They make, nah, I don't I
6: don't think they work.
2: Well, you just said the AC works though.
6: Yeah, but not now. I'm saying I'm tell, I'm saying the the AC works on the car. It's you know, it's functional, but it it went out. Okay,
2: with, let's with, start, let's let's start over. Hi, Marty. It's Ron Anini and in the car. Doctor. How are you? <laughs> All right. This is this is a, a north south thing, isn't it? I can tell. Um, so if if you set the controls in the car to on, like you want to run the air conditioning, uh-huh. does the air conditioning work? Does the car get cold?
6: N- not right now. No.
2: Okay. So the air conditioning's broken.
6: Well, it it no. I, I'm saying. Yeah, the the cabin recirculation button okay there's a button on there that controls the cabin air recirculation right outside air right right and that that went out too okay both of them went yeah, out together
2: forget forget that just forget okay. that for a moment I just okay. want to know if you go to turn the air conditioning on does the air does the car get cold no all right so the first problem is the AC compressor does not engage fair statement. Yeah. Okay. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Does the blower work in any position? Yeah,
6: the blower works.
2: All right, can you change can you change door position? In other words, if you put it on the frost, does the air come out up top? If you put yeah. it on vent it comes out the middle. So so the car doesn't get cold cuz the compressor's not coming on. Right. Right? And the LEDs on the recirc and the AC power switch don't engage. Don't come on right. It doesn't.
6: It doesn't engage. Yeah, you know, before it went out, the LED looked like it got. It started to dim on me. You right. You know, it, it, it looked like it was flickering almost.
2: Okay. All right. Are you handy with electrical, Marty? Yeah, I am. Okay. The AC compressor doesn't come on when you turn the AC on, but the blower motor works. Fair statement. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you ground, and you got to be careful here. I'd love to see with a wiring diagram and a voltmeter. There's a yellow green wire at the air conditioning thermostat control. If you ground that wire and the compressor engages, chances are you've got a bad switch. Mm-hmm. All right? So you're going to have to sit down and troubleshoot it from there. My my feeling is you've probably got a bad switch, as I understand what you're trying to do here, and I would worry more about the on-off switch for the AC before I worried about the recirc first. Mm-hmm. Again, a wiring diagram and how the circuit works has to come into this conversation somewhere, okay. but if we're talking about you know, somewhere to start, I would start looking at those switches. I believe there's three or four wires. I think there's four at the back of those. Mm-hmm. And you want to know power, ground, easy enough to test, and then does the switch cause a change of state when you p- depress it on the outfeed line from the switch to the control relay. Okay. All right, and then we'll kind of have the conversation again next week. How's well, that why
6: doesn't the recirculation
2: work? Because you can't get the compressor to come on.
6: Okay, so does that would affect the switch next
2: to it. More than likely, I would start with I would start with what I know. There are two separate switches on this car, correct? Right. Okay. Then let's now. I would also look at a wiring diagram, and and I and I appreciate the way you're thinking. I would look for something common. Okay. But if if you push that on button and the AC compressor doesn't come on, that's what you want to diagnose.
6: Okay, we will do. Look, the Rizlone, i want to talk about that real quick. Go I ahead. have a little tap on, at around 1,500 RPM when the engine's cold. You right. know, uh, someone passed me some 1040 instead of 1030, and I noticed just before I put the oil in the engine. But since then, last year, I've been having a little tap at it when the engine's cold. It warms up, it goes away. So Rizlone's got oil, Rizlon, uh, fuel, yeah, the yeah, engine treatment.
2: Yeah, the Rizlone engine treatment is where I would start. Now, just okay. let, me, let me just address the 1040 versus 1030. Yeah. The days of going to a thicker oil, solving a problem, uh-huh. may or may not work. Conventional thinking is it should help if you've got an engine noise or an oil consumption problem. Mm-hmm. But technology has kind of turned the tables on us in that oil control rings are now such a low tension mm-hmm. that a heavier viscosity or a thicker oil mm-hmm. makes it harder for that ring to control itself and actually pushes the ring in and will actually increase oil consumption and sometimes yeah. engine noise. So well, you've got to try it both ways before you you know, uh, just sit there and settle with it and say, yeah, here's how I'm going to do it.
6: Yeah, but the engine treatment. But the, the, the guy at the counter gave, gave me 1040 instead of 1030, and it was just a mistake.
2: Right. So, yeah, I would go back to the 1030, and I would try some Rizlone. If you're trying to get rid of an engine noise, you might have a sludge issue, and you can't hurt it, that's for sure.
6: Okay, well thanks a lot, Ron. You're very welcome, Marty. You, you Good luck care, to you.
2: You're here. You too. Yes sir. You uh you keep me posted. Let me know what's going on down that way. All right, Marty. Good luck to you. 855-560-9. I tell you what, they're so friendly. That's just it that's it's a north south communication thing, man. We're just trying to, you know, it's 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 just trying to make it all work. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's back right after this, y'all. Hey, welcome back. We're on the Car Doctor, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Real quick, a real heartfelt thanks to everybody who sent out their good wishes and uh, concern for me um, after the comment, uh, was it last week or the week before, about the uh, concussion and uh, hitting my head on the lift and uh, down for the count but not out. Car Doctor's back, and he's ready to rock and roll and uh, looking forward to many years and uh, all those thoughts and uh, kindnesses. Um, i tell you what, they they they're what this is all about because at least I know I'm reaching you and um, you're happy with it and uh, that's what makes me happy if you're happy I'm happy let's get over and talk to let's go over and talk to Brian on uh, questions about his 2006 jeep commander Brian you're on with the car doctor sir how can I help
0: hey Ron how are you Good. I'm glad to see
2: your feeling better. yeah you know hundred percent today they uh Tony says I still look the same which he said isn't an improvement but other than that he says I'm doing okay so um Good. you know I got the face made for radio what's going on
0: I got a 2006 Jeep Commander that I bought at an auction from a wholesaler because I'm in the car business. Okay. And when I bought it, it uh, I jumped it, and it was a slow crank with our jump box. And then I drove it for a couple of days. And when you would drive it, every time you would start it, it was a slow crank. But one day I was driving home, all the idiot lights kept coming on on the dashboard. They would come on, go off, come on, go off. Gotcha. And I was just wondering... Just wondering if you would think. Uh, and when I look at the battery, it looks like it's the smaller battery. It's a small well, battery, it's not
2: like a. You know, listen. Um, where I would go, you got a scan tool in the shop?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, you know, that's my best friend. I take that everywhere I go, especially when I'm at the auction because I don't trust the what other you, car salesmen. What, what so. do you? What do you have? What kind of tool? You know, it's just one of those cheap ones from uh, Harbor Freight that I just keep in my briefcase when I'm at the auction so I can...
2: Right. So here's the problem, all right? That tool will only give you emission fault codes. All right? So, and and I, I always explain it to everybody like this. You've got a desktop computer, Brian? Yep. All right. Windows operating system? Yes. Do you have antivirus on it? Yes. Perfect. So a car today has software it has two sets of software it has an operating system and it has antivirus in your case your your operating system is chrysler all right that's manufacturer specific information your antivirus or the software that keeps track of your operating system to make sure the boogeyman doesn't get in there is obd2 that okay. that generic cheapy scan tool you keep in your briefcase and that's great all that will read is generic OBD2. It's basic emission information. And that's okay because if we were chasing a check engine light, I always start with OBD2 scan in the shop anyway. I never go to vehicle specific. I always OBD2 gives me more information actually for the things I'm looking for. But in this case where the dash lights are coming on or perhaps you've got an electrical issue that's going through a body module or something yeah. other than the main engine computer, Eh, you're never going to see it. It's like you could stand here in the States all you want and try and hear what's going on over in Europe, but you, you'll just never hear it. You're just not able to connect. So someone should do, and this is why we don't talk about it enough, and maybe I'll have to bring it up more on the show. I would do something called a system scan, where I would hook up a scan tool that's capable of talking to every module or box on the car, do a system scan, walk away, come back 10 minutes later, and I'll get a list of, Everything and everybody that's unhappy, you know, all the relatives gathered around the tree, everybody that's got a trouble code, all right, and that'll at least give me a direction. Now, there's a possibility here. You've got, you know, some basic stuff. We always want to start with basics. If if we're trying to wholesale this or just, you know, do some quick things, obviously battery connections, correct battery in the car. You've got to look at the group size and see, is that the correct battery for the vehicle, because an undersized battery can wreak havoc on today's electrical systems. Right. Yeah, that's what
0: I was thinking.
2: Yep, it can. Sure, absolutely. If that's a group 26 battery in there and it's supposed to be a a, a 78 for lack of conversation or a 34, yep. yeah, that'll do all kinds of nutty things. Yeah, if,
0: it screwing it all up. If, if,
2: if the cold cranking capacity or the regular cranking amperage capacity isn't right, it's going to cause all sorts of issues, all right, because a battery in the last 12 years has become so important it is the electrical reservoir of the system and it controls in and out and surge and suppression and it's just doing all sorts of things matter of fact beginning model year 2010 and we're going to talk about this in an upcoming show is um, batteries have to be registered you just can't change batteries anymore you need a scan tool to tell it you know, it's kind of like being introduced to your wife on the first date. Here's the new battery. Hope you get along and uh, start charging, and this is how you're going to treat it. And the uh, cars just won't accept replacing batteries by themselves anymore. The charging systems are that sensitive. My point being, really? uh, yeah, yeah, that's beginning model year 2008, 2010. It was more mainstream, and it's going to increase as time goes on. Bottom line, I would look at battery. I would look at terminal connections. I would also follow that ground strap down to the engine block, make sure it's good, okay. clean, and tight. You know, let's 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 cover the basics. And once you go through all that, then I would you know, try to do a system scan. Now keep in mind if you disconnect the battery to ground, anything that breaks power to the vehicle's modules, and then go to scan it, you just erased it. So you want to try yeah, and scan it. Yeah, right. So you want to try and scan it first. Gather your acorns first before you start trying to figure out what um, what you're actually gonna cook. So uh let's 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 take it from that perspective and then we can have a conversation next week if you need to about cranking amperage and how to do a starter draw test and all those kind of things but I think you've got to go through some basic tests first as your next step and then we can sort of talk about it from there 8555609900 the car doctor's coming back don't go away Doctor, let's real quick get over to Richard and Bethany, 2008 MKX, and some questions about Brake Squeak. Richard, you're on with the car, Doctor. How can I help?
1: Hi, Ron. Thanks yes. for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, this is a 2008 Lincoln MKX, and the problem involves the front brakes only. Now, in May, we had new pads and rotors put on the car, on the front by the dealer. After that, anytime you move the car in reverse and you hit the brakes, The front brakes would squeal, a loud squeal. Okay. Going forward at any speed, no problem. Anytime you back up, you hit the brakes, that happens. Took it back to the dealer uh, about a little over a month later. They basically told me there's nothing wrong with the car. And I told them what you tell your listeners. If there's nothing wrong with the car, if this is normal, show me another car and I'll lot to do it. And they couldn't. That they, they, No, they they ignored me. They ignored me.
2: So obviously but, obviously, they don't want to sell you another car. <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> and in, in November, we had that uh, service bulletin regarding the, uh, the the fuel tank. Right. Gas tank. They had to replace that. Right. Well, I went back again, and I insisted that they do something with the brakes. Well, I figured they have the car up in the lift. Yeah, go ahead and look at it. I'll tell you what they did. They said they removed foreign material between the pads. They sanded the pads and the rotors, lubed the hardware, road-tested it, and said there's no noise. They said it's fine. We got the car home. It's still making the noise. Where but, do I go with it now?
2: Got to find the mechanic that wants to fix it. I mean, that's I that's, yeah. the, that's the bottom line, because obviously it's not this dealership, and and that's the sad part and you know without diagnosing it i can tell you what i think it might be i would suspect that since it happened right after they did those brakes maybe they did they machine the rotors or did they replace the rotors when they oh, did they this? Oh they replaced
1: route. they were the new rotors
2: maybe they weren't washed properly maybe mm-hmm. the brake pads themselves have an issue and that's the part i don't get all right I would at least like to see somebody say, hey, you got a problem? Yeah, let's go for a ride. I mean, mechanics know what's right and wrong. The car's not supposed to make a squeaking sound from the front brakes when you apply the pedal like that. If they do, there's an issue. Cars aren't meant to be annoying. And you should go back and, you know, I would talk to the manager of the dealership or the owner of the dealership. I would write them a letter and say, listen, cars aren't meant to be annoying. If they're annoying, people don't buy them. And if I can't fix this, I'm going to go buy something else other than a Lincoln. So if you're not interested in taking my money, and ask me why you're in business and why you come into work every day. All right? But where I would be concerned is do you have a brake pad that's not properly lubricated and it doesn't slide on the mechanism and allow it for full travel, possibly causing the squeal? Let me know what happens, Richard. I'm running eating the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless.